0: Let's bow together for a prayer. God, what a world you have given us. It is brimming with promise, and yet it is also weeping with pain. Our country has been so deeply moved by the presence of Pope Francis in our midst. Even as we watch refugees trying to flee wars, and poverty, and as we struggle to know how to love and care, we recognize your sacred presence in every human being. Thank you for moments such as this hour of worship where we can center ourselves in love, find the sacred way, know the forgiveness of our sins, and be raised like Michael was from the baptism waters to walk in newness of life. May newness of life be the theme of this church as we move out of this place and into your world. Let us be faithful in all that we are and do. Send your spirit among us that we might live with confidence and with courage. Unite us now with each other, with friends and strangers in the pews near us, and with your children all around the world, as together we employ the words that Jesus taught his first disciples to pray, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A few weeks ago, our church staff took a day to sit in a kind of Consultation conversation with Bruce Maples, who we asked to help us think about where we're working and how we're working as a church staff and as we lead this beautiful community of faith. Bruce employed a word that I or a term that I had not heard before. It it is called paying the rent, by which he means attending to what is central to your job, doing your job and not doing someone else's job. We've all seen situations where people misunderstood their particular job description. We've seen the conflict and the frustration, the disunity and the chaos that can result when people don't do their own work. Perhaps it happens innocently. Perhaps someone naively walks into a task that's not theirs to do. Sometimes people are tricked into it, like the guy I knew in seminary who had worked all night and gotten to the 8 o'clock class and had fallen asleep before the class began. One of his classmates decided to play a trick on him, so after the professor had already started talking, he nudged him and said, hey, the professor's just called on you to pray. He stood up and just began a prayer. Lord, thank you that we're in seminary, we get to learn all these good things about you, blah, blah, blah. He finished his prayer and he sat down, and kind of looked around confidently, he noticed everyone was looking at him, including the professor, who said... Well, that was nice. Now let me continue to explain to you what will be on the test on Friday. The poor guy had gotten some bad intel. Sometimes we step into the someone else's job description by trick or by innocence. Other times it's quite intentional. Some of you in the room are old enough to remember the famous phrase, I am in control. Where someone takes too much responsibility, someone seeks to grab power but then there's all those other places where it's not just innocent and it's not intentional it's that murky middle where we don't really know what our role is why are we here what's our job and so we wander aimlessly either around the workplace or around life trying out first this then that Jesus had called his disciples and had given them a very specific job description. I want you to experience my liberating love. I want you to learn it deeply so that it is who you are. And then I'm going to send you out to go into all the world and to preach this good news to all people and to baptize them and teach them to observe all these things that I've commanded you. It's a pretty good job description. It's enough for one lifetime, believe me. But for some reason, the disciples decide, yeah, that's not really our job description. Our job is to be Jesus' handlers, his bouncers, his quality control managers, his bodyguards. We're going to keep keep our our label and our, our product safe. And so when the children try to get to Jesus, the disciples shoo them away. When Bartimaeus, the blind man, Cries out for Jesus to, to heal him. The disciples tell him to be quiet. When the woman at the well has her conversation with Jesus, the disciples arrive late and when they see what's happened, you can kind of see them bow up like, hey, was she bothering you? The lepers, when they come and make their petition to Jesus, again, the disciples try to shoo them away. And then here in John or Mark chapter 9, John, one of the disciples... Comes to Jesus and I can just imagine him sort of sniffing confidently and saying, we got your back. We saw someone trying to cast out demons in your name. We tried to stop them because they weren't following us. I can just see John waiting for that praise of, of having acted decisively and protected the product's brand. What is that in the human condition? What is this? habit we have of dividing and categorizing and elevating some and demonizing others of assuming that just because someone's not following you that somehow they're a threat. What was, what was going on in John? What was his maybe unspoken or even unknown agenda? Was it really about quality control? Was he really afraid that some stranger, some outsider, might not cast out a demon properly? Was was he worried about purity? Or was John perhaps feeling a little bit threatened by a stranger doing what they'd been charged to do? Maybe he wanted to hoard all the credit and praise for himself. Maybe he had a, a sense of scarcity and fear that there wasn't enough Uh, affirmation for everyone. Or maybe John is like a lot of people in this room, including the pastor who has a high need for order, who want categories to stay solid, for every box to be checked. Only our kind who have the right credentials are qualified to cast out demons and embody the love. What's going on here? I can't imagine John's surprise. I know my own surprise when Jesus says, don't try to stop him. Don't try to stop them. For those who aren't against me are for me. In other words, this work of love is not about boundaries or membership or trademarks, but rather if they're doing the work of love, then they're on our team. They're with us, one in this work of love. In fact, my friend, Jesus says to John, there may be a day when you're the one who needs the cup of cold water, and if it comes from the hand of a stranger, it will taste good to you, and their reward will not be lost. You see, he'd had that experience. He had been the one at the well in the Samaritan village when a woman gave him a cup of water to drink. And it's interesting to me that in the conversation that ensued between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the conversation moves to the question, who's in and who's out? Who's qualified and who's disqualified? Well, Teacher, I know that your people say we should worship on that mountain, but our people say we should worship over here. And Jesus said... Yeah, it's not about that. God is spirit. And those who worship God will worship God in spirit and in truth. Do you feel how big and inclusive and broad and welcoming and healing those words are? These are the words that our world needs to hear today. And you and I, we are the people. We're the disciples who were called by Jesus to go take this word into the world today. On Wednesday of this week, our church joined with several other churches from East Louisville. We went across that great 9th Street divide over to St. Stephen Baptist Church, an African-American congregation at 15th and Kentucky. We bonded together to begin to think and dream about how we can be the beloved community together. Well, in the morning, we had a press conference to let the public know that they were invited, if they wanted, to come to the Wednesday evening service that we held together, our, our summit called Empower West. There was a row of reporters, local reporters, who were there. And after we made some preliminary statements, we invited them to Ask some questions. One of the first questions we got from a, was from a reporter who asked, "Well, I noticed that you're Baptist and Methodist and Episcopal and Presbyterian and uh, White Baptist churches and Black Baptist churches. How does that affect what you're doing together?" It's not a bad question, I suppose. Uh, it would certainly be uh, relevant in most contexts, but it didn't fit we sort of looked at each other like that question never occurred to us finally someone went to the microphone and said yeah that that's never come up we've been too busy trying to keep the main thing the main thing which is people and their lives and the wholeness of our city, we haven't been too worried about how much water you use at baptism or when you baptize somebody or whether you genuflect or how your church is organized or any of those other things that we tend to focus on when we're not really focused on the main thing. In other words, we're not trying to do anyone else's job here. Our job is to listen to the Spirit of God at work in Louisville, Kentucky in 2015 and to open our hearts and to ask, how can we be part of this work of love in a real and tangible way today? Our churches may differ in styles and details, in the way we sing or in our points of theology, but all of that is trumped by our shared call to be disciples of Jesus with a very clear job description to go into the world and embody the gospel. One of the things you notice when you read the gospels is that the only people that Jesus ever separates himself from, the only people he ever finds himself in conflict with, at least for a season, are those who would divide and judge others. And the people who do this the worst, the worst offenders, of course, are us, the religious people. We're the Hamans of the world who want to kill Mordecai and all the Jewish people. And it may be that instead of that work, what we're being called to do is be like Esther, called for such a time as this to be the people of God and blow this thing open. To say that God is immensely beautiful and big and inclusive and loving and forgiving and gracious. We humans, and especially we religious humans, have this bad habit of thinking somehow that we've got the trademark on God. That gives us the liberty to demonize others, exclude others, and play our power games when Jesus is saying to us, hey. Just stay in your own lane, take care of your row, do your life, and trust the rest to me. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about the workers in the vineyard? Remember how those who started at the beginning of the day were angry that those who worked only a few hours got paid the same amount? And Jesus had to turn to them and say, you know what? You're out of your lane here. That's not your concern. Why would you begrudge my generosity? Can I not do what I choose with what I have? Do you remember the scene at the end of the Gospel of John? After Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Simon Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, faces Jesus, the risen Christ, for the first time, and three times Jesus asks him, Simon, do you love me? He gives Simon some specific instructions about feeding sheep and seeing what the future will be for him. And Simon's question is, yeah, okay, but what, what about him? What about him? My daughter has a term, nunya, which means it's none of your business. Nunya business. Simon, it's nunya. You do what I've called you to do. Come develop these God habits. Let's replace our bad habits with God habits. Inviting all people to the banquet of love. Richard Rohr, who's become kind of a guru for me, invites us to take our Christian faith and go deeper and deeper with it. But as you do, never denigrate where you've been before. I heard my professor Frank Tupper tell tell me this Many years ago, let God move you, grow you, change you, shape you, but never look down on where you've been. Richard Rohr's words are transcend and include. It's a gracious way. It's a loving way. It's the way Christ wants us to relate to all people in all times. In fact, this is so important. This is so key to the gospel that Jesus The Prince of Peace uses words that really are pretty startling. I hope they were startling to you. That if you cause someone to stumble, it'd be better for you rather than to cause someone to stumble. One of these little ones, that is, someone new to the faith to feel either uh, excluded or confused or left out or unimportant. Unimportant. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea and drowned. It would be better for you to have your hand cut off or your foot cut off or your eye plucked out than to let someone stumble because of you. Whoa! That's pretty violent imagery for the Prince of Peace. In other words, he's not messing around. Someone asked Flannery O'Connor, that great southern novelist, Why do you use such grotesque and exaggerated characters? O'Connor's answer was, you have to draw big pictures for a near-blind generation. Jesus is drawing some big pictures. He's using some grotesque and extravagant words to say to the disciples, If you're going to try to stop someone from healing another person, my brother, you're going the opposite direction of the gospel. For the gospel is about unity and love and healing. So, before you cause another to stumble, it'd be better for you to drown yourself or cut off your hand or your foot or pull out your eye. What Jesus is doing is calling disciples then and now from the safety and the familiarity of this us versus them thinking into a whole new realm of thinking us together with them this is the gospel to to stay in a place where we we feel like we've always got to condemn and judge other people keeps us in bad habits. We're being invited into God habits. I notice that John's bad habit of dividing and competing, of judging and excluding, prevents him from asking what surely must have been the God question. A man had tried to... Cast a demon out of another person. Jesus' question surely would have been, well, how'd he do? Did it work? Was he healed? How's he doing now? Is he he finding the recovery that he needs to be whole? In other words, it's about people. It's never about divisions and categories. John, you might as well pluck out your eye. Brother, you're not seeing what's right in front of you. So I want to ask us today, what would it mean for us to cultivate God habits? Rather than cutting off our hand or our foot or plucking out our eye, let's ask this question. What might we see? What are we being invited to look for? What might our hands hold or heal? What, where might our feet take us in this incredible work of love? Like most of you, I've been pretty entranced this week with Pope Francis being in the United States. I took some time on Thursday to watch his speech before the joint session of Congress. It was an amazing moment. But what I was really taken by was some things that he said to the crowd after the After the speech, when he went out onto the balcony and greeted the tens of thousands of people who were waiting for him outside the Capitol, he spoke through a translator. And he began by saying what he often says to people, I ask you to pray for me, pray for me. But then he said something that really caught my eye and ear. He said, but if you can't pray, Or if you don't believe, I ask that you send me your good wishes. Do you hear how inclusive that is? If you can't pray or you don't believe, this wise man says, offer me your good wishes. We'll be part of this work of love together even if you don't believe, even if in this moment you don't know how to pray. Here's someone who knows that despite the endless variety of human thoughts and beliefs, even if we read different sacred books, even if our only book that we read is the book of nature, which Richard Rohr says is God's first book, even if we have different religious traditions we can join hands in the work of love together. If you can't pray for me because you can't pray or you don't believe, I ask for your good wishes. Like the Pope, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And I'm going to ask you to pray for Highland. By the grace of God, this church has been given eyes to see many good and important things. This church has been blessed with the opportunity to be the unique people of God in this city. We welcome all. We welcome the addict. We welcome people who are mentally ill. We welcome the LGBT community. We welcome agnostics who struggle with faith. Here's our challenge. Can we welcome those people who are more conservative, whose views feel very different than our own, We've transcended that pl- place. The question is can we include that place? How can our eyes, our hands, our feet help join together with all of God's people in the work of love? What would we see? What would we look for? What would we hold and try to heal with our hands? Where would our feet take us? I know you, Highland. You want to be the beloved community, the people of God. My prayer for us is that we be able to live into this little poem that I learned long ago, which says, He drew a circle that kept me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout, but love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in to the glory of God. Let's pray. Give us grace, O God, to find ways to include all of your children, even those with whom we have severe disagreements. Then we will know that your kingdom has come and your will has been done on earth as in heaven. We do ask that you continue to mold us and make us after your will and allow us, by your love, to be some small, small part of the healing work of love in this world. In the name of the great healer, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.